Welcome to the CFB Paint Podcast. We aren't Photoshop, we're not Illustrator. We're your bare bones essentials college football podcast, giving you the pixelated, crudely edited coverage you need for the preseason, midweek, and off-season doldrums while you wait for the action on Saturdays. You've got Court, Steve, Mark, and Brian, four brothers, college football fans with decades of heartbreak and a few years of ecstasy, here to guide you through your own gridiron roller coaster with all the side drama along the way. Welcome back to another edition of the CFP Paint Podcast. Thanks for joining. Awesome week of college football over the weekend. So really excited to dive into it with each of you. We're going to start off as we always do with our rapid round. This week, we're going to do it in order of who would win. I don't know if we want to do. Yeah, who would win an MMA fight? Maybe maybe we want to cater or switch this to be who would make the best MMA fighter? Because not to be rude to the rest of you, but I think I might be in a weight class just beneath where the rest of you are at, my, my weight cut might take me a little bit closer to, um, oh man, what's 155? Welterweight? Not welterweight, it's 170. Lightweight than, than, the, than the rest of you. Um, but I'm interested Very to hear for each of you where, where you think you stack in the, up in the pecking order. I know I'm clearly beneath Steve. I'm probably last, but I, I like to think with the length that I have, given my weight ratio, I, I stand a chance of being a, a decent striker. Yeah, I'm going to go ahead and fight you on that one, Brian. Being 5'8 and 220 pounds is not a good look for me. <laughs> if Daniel Cormier can do it, you can do it, Corey. Yeah, but he's not 5'8, and I'm not a national championship wrestler. <laughs> this is an interesting one because Brian's got that, like, that monkey grip strength. Which even in grappling situations, like I like your your ability, the length to to stay on the outside. But if you get get close to someone, you could tie them up and and make things tough. The wrestling background that I have gives me some experience. I think I think natural athletic ability. I think marks that the nicest in in terms of uh, a combination of strength, uh, endurance. Uh, but but the technique is where I, I I wonder where Mark stacks in. So I, I I don't know I don't know where the where the answers are here. Yeah, I'll I'll give yeah. you my 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 take on this. I, I'm going Stephen the best because he's the only one that has any experience at all. Uh, I'll take me next just with the uh, actually I'll take Brian Brian with his length and strength and and the the weight class thing. I was hoping you were going to say amongst the three or the four of us because I was feeling pretty good about that with my size uh you know makeup. Um, but I'll, I'll take Brian next. And then it's probably a push between Corey and I. <clears throat> he watches more, so probably has more technique. I couldn't watch less U- UFC. Uh, so that, that's where I'd, I'd settle it. Well, I'm not going to argue with me being the second. That's way higher than I anticipated being. So we'll, we'll take that order. We'll go Steve, me, uh, Corey, and then Mark. Steve, why don't you kick us off? Yeah. So big takeaways. There's a lot here and I don't want to step on anyone else's toes as far as what they're doing. Uh, upsets that happen, some validation of, of some teams that we've seen. Uh, the big one for me is, is the thud that happened down in Miami. And I don't know if you guys follow our our social accounts, uh, but it, I mean, everything from that was a disaster from like the no canes walk because it's raining. Uh, there ended up being lightning in the area, but we actually tweeted out. We're like, oh, the canes are actually worried about weather, the hurricanes, really? Uh, to then the on-field result was just a disaster uh, for, for any Miami fans out there. So uh, that, that was one that I thought was probably really like okay th- this is the team that we need to reset our expectations on the most it was Miami having two kind of disappointing performances in a row and maybe we'll dissect that a little bit more that's my big takeaway there were all kinds of awesome results and I'm excited to talk about them tonight uh, we have another head coach firing Jeff Collins out at Georgia Tech we talked about how baffling some of these early season firings are and not necessarily the fact that they lose their job just the strategy behind firing when you do. And I'm interested, intrigued to see how many head coaches are going to be gone before the first half of the season's over. Cause there's two or three that I have on my mind that think maybe this next week is, is their last week in a job. Texas and Oklahoma start off 0-2, a collective 0-2 in the Big 12. We picked a good conference to, to dive in on early in the season. Before, before the season started, we went to see what are all of our guesses and projections that conference is now wide open. You could see Baylor, Oklahoma State. You could still see Oklahoma winning it. 
but uh, not the starts that the Sooner or the Longhorns are looking for. I'm sure the SEC isn't loving what they're seeing in their future teams, but probably won't be be too sad. Those fan bases are still pretty big, and they're still bound to bring in quite a bit of money. But uh, a great uh, for for a neutral fan, a, a great thing to see uh, both the Sooners, Sooners and Longhorns go down and really just open up the race for the for the Big Twelve. Last thing is I need to give some credit for Minnesota. Minnesota is a team that I don't think we've mentioned at all up to this point, but sneakily, maybe the most consistent team in the country, Georgia included with Georgia. I did fine against Penn State or Penn State, Kent State. I don't think they're ever really in danger, but Minnesota takes care of Michigan State in very business-like fashion. We have a win totals draft. We'll talk a little bit about that that we did before the season. We picked Iowa, Wisconsin, and Purdue all on their same side of the conference. We did not pick the Golden Gophers at any point, and that is a huge mistake on our part because they are shutting up everyone right now. They've scored 34-plus points in every game and have not allowed more than 10. So uh, a, a lot of credit there going to a team that we haven't talked about a whole lot and who's making sure that people know who they are. Shout out Golden Gophers. Um, what, what, what a start to the season and what exciting matchups they have going down the line. Brian, you forgot Kansas when you're talking about who could win the Big 12. Honestly, it's been fun to watch this team kind of with great coaching just really be amazing. Their quarterback leads all quarterbacks across the nation in QBR rating. Um, and right now is, our, is my September Heisman. I mean, he's been impressive. Um, well, it'll be fun to see how the rest of the season plays out for them. The other thing I wanted to talk about was who had a better start to their game. Michigan or Florida State? For those of you guys who didn't see either one, Michigan kicks off, and the the kickoff hits the Maryland player right in the face mask and drops, and Michigan uh, gets a fumble right on the 10-yard line. One play in, touchdown. You know, 15 seconds off the clock. Florida State, kickoff for a touchdown. The first one that's happened across the NCAA all, all season um, to start off their game. Which way do you guys want to start a game? Honestly, I think I'd probably go with Michigan's way because I get the ball in the second half, but two great ways for great teams to start their game so i think there's also the humiliation factor of watching the football bounce off your you know the other team's face uh which if you didn't go watch the clip it's it's a nice spectacle it it has a nice little pop to it and uh it's pretty funny Corey, you should have taken credit too because uh brian talked about another uh another head coach firing go back and listen to the was it the first episode second episode where we talked about quarterback or coach firings Corey nailed three I think three of his top four I think his other his fourth was Dino Baber so we kind of went in the other direction there if I remember that right but but you've nailed uh three of the first four uh as we talk about later Corey getting everything right will become a theme um but we'll put that and you know aside and address that when we have to other thing shout out to DJ <clears throat> Daniel I've been practicing it all day Ui <laughs> Ongalele <laughs> I'm getting I'm getting a C minus on that. Okay. Uh you know what? He's kept his job up to this point, and I didn't think he would do that. And he had his biggest game of the season against Wake Forest. He was 26 of 41, 371 yards, five touchdowns, no picks. So uh I know when to eat crow. Nice performance. Um, big when it matters most, toss tossing the game winning touchdown in overtime. So um nice job there. Syracuse continues to find a way. That's a team that you know, you keep thinking is going to lose games and then somehow pulls a rabbit out of the hat. Um, and that was fun to watch. And then also for any team that needs an offensive jump start, just give UNC a call. Uh, we've, we've spent a fair amount of time talking about UNC. That defense is horrible. Uh, they gave up 576 yards to Notre Dame, who's playing with theoretically the backup quarterback. That's 200 yards more than Notre Dame had scored or had had gained on any other opponent this season. I mean, they are atrocious uh so it'll be interesting to to you know watch that play out through the rest of the year can the offense continue to outscore they didn't this week but you know most of the teams they play yeah unc certainly given a lot of quarterbacks and offensive lines a lot of confidence to go forward in the rest of the season uh we're going to jump into a recap of the past week there are a ton of headlines so we're going to quickly skim through all of them and we're going to deep dive into into a few of them Uh, As Steve mentioned, Miami falls to Middle Tennessee State, uh, begging the question, if a team loses but there's no crowd there to see it, did they really lose? Clemson wins in double (laughs) overtime over Wake Forest. 
um, in, a, in a very a shootout, which many would not have projected that game to be. Kansas remains unbeaten against Duke. Uh, very, um, I guess, two teams that had better starts than people anticipated would happen, especially Kansas, just looking so, so good uh, under Lance Leopold. Texas A&M's defense stands tall and gets the win against Arkansas in a top 25 matchup. So good bounce back for Texas A&M for, um, you know, the early woes against Appalachian State and not looking great against Miami. Still things to be worked out there, especially offensively. But getting results is always a, a good way to go. Tennessee outlasts the Florida Gators at Neyland Stadium. Um, so they continue to be, I guess, the, the second tier right beneath uh, Georgia and the SEC East. USC comes back late to beat Oregon State. Uh, Oregon State looking pretty good this year. UFC might need to work out some of the kinks and get their get their talent up to, I guess, get their their play up to the level of their talent. Kansas State knocks off Oklahoma. Michigan survives its closest test of all or of the season so far against Maryland. The Longhorns go down against the Red Raiders. Um, Red Raiders and Blue Raiders both had good upsets over the weekend. Oregon gets a scare from Washington State, uh, but's able to pull out the victory in the end. Missouri hands victory back to Auburn twice, perhaps saving Brian Harson's job for a week, although I'm surprised that that did save the job. Uh, Georgia finally gives up a few points, 22 points to Kent State. Uh, did feel like they were playing with their food, but still it's, it's interesting to see them look mortal for the first time. Minnesota gets a very convincing win against Michigan State, doesn't let up. And then, of course, Jeff Collins fired a job opening in Atlanta. Corey, let's go to you first. Uh, which one of these headlines do you want to dive a little deeper into? Oh, of course, I, I love this Miami falling to Middle Tennessee State. Um, Brian, I think your line there made me not listen to half of, the, half of your reports on that because in reality, I was just laughing in the background. Um, the thing I love about this is that every time Miami kind of got hope, Middle Tennessee State kind of just slammed the door shut again. And I think this is a, a great example of Mario Cristobal, in my opinion, not being an excellent coach. Um, we watched QBs regress underneath him a little bit um, at Oregon and here now at Miami and with the benching of Tyler Van Dyke. Um, but my favorite part of the entire thing is the post game. I don't know if you guys got a chance to listen to this. So Middle Tennessee State coach uh, Rick Stockstill is a former Florida State quarterback. And so he was asked about that, asked about if this made it a little bit sweeter. And he said, he made a comment and he goes, I know Tallahassee, I know they're pretty excited about the mighty Blue Raiders kicking the Hurricanes tail because we kicked their tail and I ain't afraid to say it. And I kind of love that hear him say that he said a few of his uh, buddies from Florida State back when he played were tweeting him out and, and message him afterwards so it was kind of fun to listen to and kind of fun to watch and uh, honestly a little bewildering that this happened in, in my opinion I know Steve you got some comments on this I want to hear your comments yeah I, I, if we get more quotes from coaches like that we're probably going to have to introduce like a Ricky Bobby winners get to say what they want segment of the of the pod where you just cut <laughs> Winners get to just say it like it is. Now, I will give Stockdale some credit. A few years back, they lost to Iowa 48 to 3. And he says it, it cuts both ways with him. They lost 48 to 3. They were outgained 644 yards to 216. And he said, start out by congratulating Iowa. They did a nice job. They have a great team. They whooped us today. So he's he's not afraid to tell it like it is win or loss. But uh yeah, what a what a what a quote and he doubled down on it he said it twice and he's like there is nothing flukish about this we beat them uh so love it when coaches kind of peel back the curtain a little bit and say what they're really thinking yeah and they did it with I, big big playability you know they had a 25 percent or third down conversion rate you don't win a whole lot of football games with 12 third downs they converted three of them but if you're scoring 75 yard touchdowns you know that helps you don't have to play a whole lot of third down Correction, 98-yard touchdowns. Depended on the touchdown. Yeah, DJ England Chisholm had one of the best stat lines I've ever seen. Two receptions. Prior to this game in the season, he had three for, I think, 15 yards. In this game, he had two receptions for 169 yards and two touchdowns. When you're giving up that sort of stuff over the top, like it's, it's just going to be hard to win games. Also really shocking to see Tyler Van Dyke get benched. Tyler Van Dyke is a super talented quarterback. Uh, Tyler, if you're listening right now and Jordan Travis chooses to move on next year, I bet there's a home at the Seminoles. I wouldn't mind seeing you in some garner and gold. I think he's just, just got a lot of talent and really you're seeing him being filled by an offensive coach. Yeah. My opinion is, is like, he should not have been benched. I, don't, I, I mean, I know he, 
he wasn't he thrown two interceptions but you I, I feel like that's an emotional reaction and not a good coaching reaction in my opinion um and you've got to continue to support him I, i'm a little bewildered by that yeah i i don't actually blame him on the on the benching like he was very much part of the problem uh just could not open receivers are getting missed a lot um but all the same, like it not, it's not like it really changed that much when Garcia came into the game. I mean, he did provide a little bit of juice on that first drive, but that was essentially it. Um, I was curious, which which coordinator from Miami had the worst day? Because I think a pretty fair question. Yeah, I think the defense, though, if you're giving that much up to, to Middle Tennessee. <laughs> At one point, Middle Tennessee, I think I had six touchdowns and five first downs. Like, that's terrible. Yeah, I don't know. It, 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 uh, Randy Moss wasn't on that field. Like, I don't know why you're getting beat deep that often um, and, and what's going on there. So I, I'd say defense, but Josh Gaddis didn't, didn't do himself any favors either. Good thought exercise, though, right? Good thought exercise. Okay, but real quick, do we think this is a reflection of truly how Miami is nowadays? Or is this a fluke kind of game from a, from a really difficult layover? I guess, lay, I mean, layover but like carryover from the last game? Like what, what are your guys' thoughts on that? I think they're better than, you know, getting beat and, and really beat convincingly by Middle Tennessee State. However, we have not seen a impressive Miami performance this season. They've had four chances. We haven't seen one, in, in my opinion. So I think, you know, the, the honeymoon is worn off. Like as soon as you lose to Middle Tennessee State, there's no more of this, okay, there's all this excitement. We've got all this money now and we've brought in these new coaches who are going to do big things. We've got Michigan's OC. We've got Cristobal is going to bring in all the best talent. We can pay our players a lot better than, um, than we, maybe we could a couple years ago. Um, should NIL have been around for very long, but really we have to look at, we've never seen from this team, this year's team an impressive performance on the field. We, we'd have nothing to go off of except for the talent that, we believe to be on the roster or we believe to be in the coaching staff. So it's, it's a real reset. And you just, for me, like, I, I don't know what to expect from them going forward because, you know, going into the season, I think we all had them winning the coastal them or Pitt, And now it's like, I have no idea how they're going to be able to navigate this, this schedule. Even as of last week, I said it was a one team race in the coastal and it was just Miami. And boy, does that feel foolish now. <laughs> Hey, they still don't have a loss in the ACC yet, so it's possible. Yeah, the schedule still looks pretty light. Like, they, 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 I still could see them winning every single one of those games. But my confidence in them doing that is, is significantly diminished week from one week to the next. All right, that's uh, enough of our schadenfreude going in on Miami. Steve, do you want to take a look at another one of these headlines? Yeah, and I'll actually start with uh, with a game that I wasn't able to watch a ton of, but Washington State, like they, there, there's some things there. Jake Dickert was their defensive coordinator when Rolovich decided not to get a shot, and was there, you know, has has now moved into the the full time role as their head coach. He was the interim during the time when uh, during the season, the 2021 season, where where Rolovich couldn't couldn't coach wasn't wasn't able to do so and didn't meet the deadline uh after that like that team looked galvanized around him their offense is is starting to do some things I think that there maybe needs to be some more weapons around Cameron Ward but he looks like the real deal they've got a good defense I, I feel good about picking them in our win totals draft and thought they I mean they went from up 12 to to trailing so fast in that fourth quarter against Oregon. That's really kind of disappointing. I think the defense has, has been really good for stretches of time. They they had some lapses. I think Oregon scored 29 points in the fourth quarter. Do I have that right? It's uh yeah. So that a little bit of a disappointing 15 minutes there, but that team is is I think a pretty good team and one to watch moving forward. It'll be interesting to see if the, the strategy plays out for the rest of the season. All you need to do to become a good quarterback is lower the level of competition. Bo Nix has moved out to the Pac-12. He's looking really good. And now I know he had stretches at Auburn where he did the same thing. Um, well, the, you know, time will tell there. Uh, one thing I do question about this game, 
those uniforms, Washington State's all grays, terrible. I think they've got a, you know, I don't know, I don't know what their technical red is, the crimson. They've got so many cool uniforms, and that one's a stinkeroo. Uh, that'd be my big takeaway from them on this game. <laughs> would be you, you've you've got a bunch. You don't need to uh, you don't you don't need to wear those ones. Yeah, I actually rewatched this game again um, this morning, and I, I disagree with you, Mark. I'm actually pretty high on the Pac-12. I think the, the talent there this year is pretty impressive. I think you have a good solid five, four or five teams that are pretty dang good. Um, but Oregon, like this would have been a blowout in reality if Oregon could just finish. Like we can talk about this a little bit later on. Oh, actually, I can even talk about it now. Uh, let me pull up their drives that they do in the first half. Um, let me see if I've got it up. Oh, I don't have it up on me, but um, it's like 65 yards, field goal, 85 yards, field goal, 80 yards, interception. The whole first half, they just cannot finish. And then the second half, they learn to finish their drives. Um, and that's what won them the game, essentially. There's going to be some other things I want to talk about and when we talk about the game turn when. But yeah, honestly, that Oregon team's better, I think, than people give it to them. But I agree, Steve. I, I like this Washington State team. I like Cameron Ward. He is a fun guy to watch. There's, I mean, there's a one set of downs in that in, in that game where he runs to the right, right and then he gets kind of tripped up and he's like literally a foot and a half off the ground. He flips the ball up over a four and a half, four, six foot four jumping defensive end and get, picks up the first down. And then the next play, he like on like later on in the drive, he like said fourth and six and he's running around and finds a guy open to convert fourth and six. It's pretty amazing. He does some things that make you just say, wow. I mean, he, he has the knack for an amazing play. I do want to, I, I do want to push back on that pack 12 question though. I'm trying to think of a single really notable out of conference win that they have. Um, Utah lays an egg against Florida. Uh, Oregon gets smoked by, by Georgia. You can say the Oregon BYU one. I'm not that high on BYU. So I don't Now They killed them. Other than that, am I missing something notable? Wisconsin got beat by Washington state early. Wisconsin had, doesn't look like that good of a football team. So I'm not sure it's sold that they're that good. I think the only main game, big game I can think of off the top of my head that they lost was that Georgia and I guess you say the Georgia and the um, Florida game. Florida, they're, so they're two biggest out of conference games. I, I would agree with that, but I, that Florida game, in my opinion, they should not have lost. So that was a poor, poor decision from that quarterback. They, granted, they did lose it, right? But yeah, I don't think they've had a lot of options to to win some quality games. Yeah, but to me, it's. Sorry, like like you're saying, Corey. To me, it's it's a lack of opportunity. Um, they they've won games that on paper looked pretty, like heading into the season. Washington playing Michigan State would have been considered a, a premier matchup. Now, they can't control the fact that Michigan State looks dreadful now against everyone, but they did what a good team does, and they won that game convincingly. Michigan made it, or Michigan State made it a little more cosmetic in the fourth quarter uh but that was a pretty thorough beat down going into camp randall stadium winning a game a tough tough game 17 14 again wisconsin like we don't know what they are yet they lost that game and then they got housed by ohio state but who doesn't get housed by ohio state i guess notre dame maybe but um so I mean, I just I think it's early. I think it's hard to hard to do that with the opportunities that they've had. I think they've accomplished most of them outside of the the Oregon Georgia game, which I, I don't I don't think is realistic to really have, have expected them to win. Maybe maybe a better showing than what they put forth. The Florida Utah, uh, you know, it, it's it's a first game. Things happen, you know. Uh, I mean, by all means, Pitt should have lost to West Virginia in their opening game, and West Virginia is now looking like they're needing to write the ship. So I, 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 I'm not ready to, to declare it one way or the other. I think the PAC 12 has, has only improved its image from week one. Yeah. Let me, let me be clear. They're not bad. I don't think they're, I don't think they're bad. I think they're worse than the sec, but, and I, no I think you, there. Yeah. I think yeah, and then that's all I said was that they're, uh, you know, the level of competition is worse in the PAC in the PAC 12 than it is in the sec and Bonex is looking, looking good. That said, I I 100% agree. They're I think they're outperforming what we would have thought they would do. So you know, good for them. 
Steve, I have to laugh a little bit at you saying Michigan State uh, made the loss a little bit more cosmetic to Washington. Uh, it was pretty severe plastic surgery that they did to make that loss look better. It was a total beatdown that ended up losing only by 11. Um, but to go back to, to the game that we were highlighting, um, Corey mentioned the first half uh, drives by Oregon. We want to look at the second half drives. Touchdown, punt, touchdown, punt, touchdown, touchdown. Uh, end of the game, sit on it, knee. Uh, it, it really is, I, I think, an impressive show of resilience by by this Ducks team, um, especially with that that interception that they have, the pick six that gets returned from the five yard line all the way back. Those are the sort of things that can be knockout blow for knockout blows for teams, where players start to give up and think like, okay, it's it's not only us, but the universe is against us. Like, we can't get the ball to fall our way, um, or, or you know, every every one mistake. You know, there, there are teams where you can or games where you see teams get away with mistakes, but when every mistake seems so severely punished, uh, that can be, be tough. But, uh, so just want to give a quick shout out to Oregon, as far as the resilience goes to, to go through a half like that, and then to come out and, and, and kick the door in for the, that final 29 points that I mentioned before, um, really awesome job to, to keep that three and one record and, and to start off undefeated in a conference play. Mark, what headlines are you looking at? You want to give us a little bit more light on? Yeah, let's keep it in the Pac-12, USC and Oregon State. Uh, this one, you end up feeling really bad for Oregon State and particularly their defense, who plays a really, really good game. Uh, they hold Caleb Williams under 50% passing. They hold Jordan Addison, who until this last week, I was thinking might be a sneaky Heisman candidate um, as he's cl clearly Caleb Williams' favorite target. Uh, he still, you know, has he's got three catches, 46 yards and a touchdown, but like, you know, that that feels like a win generally when you're playing him and you lose a game by three where you lose the turnover margin by four. Uh, just just a just a bummer for them. Um, feel bad for their fans. They played a really, really good game and were, you know. 13 seconds, 15 seconds when what USC scored with. Uh, I guess it, just in the last minute, you know, just 59 seconds of. Yeah, or 59 minutes of really good ball and, and you lose in the last minute. Yeah, I think that Pac-12 North, I, I know that they, they're kind of doing away with divisions, for, for but for scheduling purposes this year is, is really fun. Uh, you've got a lot of those teams starting to kind of reemerge after being down for uh, for stretches of time. Oregon State being one that's been down for a significant amount. Also, can, we've talked about this before, but like another former Florida State player that's transferred out that's having a little bit of a career renaissance. Treshawn Harrison is their leading receiver. Did you guys realize that? Uh, so it's something about transferring from Florida State. The, the transfers that come in have great success too, but the ones that have left, like change of scenery has, has sure been good to quite a few of them. Yeah, the, the ones that actually get picked up by Power 5 schools, a lot of them haven't got picked up by Power 5, but yeah. Fair point. <laughs> the ones that, that, that had a decent landing spot. DJ Matthews, in my opinion, going to Indiana is number one I think about right there. I, I'm also thinking like Oregon State, man, they are in the middle of a tough stretch right now. You have USC come into your town, into Corvallis, you end up losing just by three. You have to go to Salt Lake and play Utah. And then you have Stanford, which is not not one of the premier teams that are there. But then you have Washington State come back to Corvallis again. It's, it's a little bit of a stretch. You have three really good teams on that stretch. So it'll be interesting to see how well this defines how good this Oregon State team is. Yeah, and I think it'll it'll be a proven ground for some of the other teams they're playing as well. Um, Oregon State wasn't a team that I expected to do much this year, and they very quickly said, no, we're here to play, and we're, we're going to, you know, rattle some cages at the very least. So I think not, not only figuring out what they're all about in that tough stretch, but also the teams that they're testing um, – I, I, you know, I'm not super low on Utah. I think they came out a little flat in that Florida game, but I still think if I, you know, today's prediction is that they would win the Pac-12. That will give a lot of insight. Um, we'll, we'll see how that ends up going. But I, I think not, not only is, you know, this a measuring stick for Oregon State, but they are the type of program where they have enough fight and they have enough talent to give teams a hard time, even with the talent level as, uh, as high as USC. So that will be... Uh, exciting on, on on both ends to see the results that come in 
uh, week after week in or from Corvallis and, and on the away away games they have. So moving on from USC and Oregon State, one game I want to talk about just for the hilarity of it, and I know a lot of people may not have watched this game, Auburn versus Missouri. Um, this may have more, more impact on coaches soon to be fired than anything else. I don't think anybody here is breaking into the playoff or having any any contending in the conference. They're tied 14-14. Missouri gets the ball down to the three or four yard line. It's a dead center chip shot, but they have time. They have 40 something seconds on the clock, have a couple timeouts. Normal teams would run the ball here. And this is one of the situations where a coach does something ridiculous. If it worked out, nobody would say another word about it. But since it didn't, it just, just really shines. They choose to kneel the ball. Let's get the clock all the way gone. It'll expire on our game-winning field goal, which is a PAT. And then, boom, we'll, we'll be able to get out of here with the victory over Auburn. Except they shank the kick. And now we're going to overtime. In overtime, they do an extremely good job in the first series. They keep Auburn from getting in the end zone. Auburn gets a field goal. 17-14. Missouri has the ball. Missouri... I want to say it's the first play uh, the very first play. They go 24 yards. They break free, get open all the way down to the 24 and a half yard line. And then, and I don't have the individual's name and I'm glad because I don't want to shame the player who, who made this mistake. It's already a dark enough moment. He goes to extend the ball over the goal line, which he didn't need to do. And he drops it and he fumbles into the end zone. Auburn recovers and walks away with a victory that twice should have been in Missouri's grasp. One of the most insane finishes I've seen, something that probably kept Brian Harson around for a week, um, something I may kick, um, I'm forgetting the Missouri head coach's name. But may, may, Drinkwitz. Yeah, Drinkwitz. Um, may, may kick him closer towards, uh, towards his time being finished uh, in, in Missouri but just a wild game. And one of those reasons that you watch college football, because those chaotic things you didn't expect to happen. You thought, okay, well, they'll make this chip shot field goal surely. And as soon as you see the, the player break free for about 15 yards, you know, the end zone's clear and he's making it in. And it's just heartbreaking for, for the young man. Um, very, very hard thing to see, but a wild win for, for the Auburn Tigers and something that they desperately needed as a program. So just wanted to, to give a highlight on that one for, just the just the pure college football chaos that we had in that game. So for that had just like strange similarities to I, I don't know if anyone watched this game last year, but at, there was a Manny Diaz as the head coach at Miami played against Virginia and they had the ball. Let's see. I'm sorry. I'm trying. I'm pulling it up right now. They had the ball. They were down 30 to 28 and we're driving to potentially kick a game-winning field goal or score, and they end up, let's see here. Yeah, they end up missing a field goal as time expires, uh, and they kind of got a little conservative toward the end of that drive. Uh, they had a first down and 10 from the 14. They run for no gain, run for no game, timeout, run for a loss of two yards to to like straighten up the field goal and then a 33 yard field goal was missed. I think that's the big takeaway. You're seeing that happen where you're relying on kickers and they, you know, college kickers, like, like they say, it's just, it's just not automatic. And so that's the thing. Like I will never be the head coach of a college football team, but if I was, I am trying to score a touchdown until I absolutely must kick the field goal. Yeah, definitely just a wild, wild way for that to finish. And between the field goal and the fumble, just heartbreaking for Missouri fans. Uh, my heart goes out to you, but also I laughed quite a bit in in your face on Saturday. So I'm so sorry about that. Uh, we'll dive in just a little bit deeper in the the Texas Texas Tech game that went on. Steve, you want to give us some some insight there? I wouldn't even say it's a deep dive. Just a couple observations. Um, yeah, they just. They, they hung around. They kept fighting. This is Texas Tech, the Red Raiders. Um, the big thing that I really wanted to point out with this is that there was a lot of speculation that maybe Quinn Ewers would play in that game. 
No, he won't. But it seems like he'll be back sooner rather than later, which has me very excited. I'm, I'm thrilled to see uh, what looks like a budding star come back. Um, yeah, a, a disappointment for Texas, but a pretty awesome win for Joey McGuire in his early tenure at Texas Tech. And they stormed the field. Come on. Co- yeah, cost him $50,000. Our, our consistent listeners know how we feel about team storming the field. You know, just act, act like you've been there. And that's uh, usually the best way to go. The best, you know, slap out of town that you can give. With that, that's going to wrap up our recap. We're going to go into a update on our win totals draft. For those of you who this is our first time listening, at the beginning of the season, before the season started, we each drafted 10 teams with the idea that we were trying to have the highest win total over the course of the regular season. So each team plays 12 games. If all of your teams aren't perfect, you have 120 wins at the end of the season. Obviously, it's not going to shake out that way, especially with other people drafting against you. And each week, we do a little bit of an update. So I'll let Mark take it over from here and let us know where we're at and how things have progressed for for each of us and the teams that we selected. Yeah, thanks, Brian. I was unclear we were going for the most wins. I thought this was more of like a mascot thing, like the Capital One, you know, top mascot, which case I would be faring much better than I am (laughs) right now. Uh, I alluded to how Corey, you know, is being right about everything. So let's just start with with Corey. Nine and one this week. Uh, Steve goes five and three. And, you know, because I can't help but be the worst every week. I go five and four. Unfortunately, I have less buys than Steven has in the week. And Brian goes seven and two. Corey, you want to want to take us through uh, your teams? Any, anybody impress you this week? Anybody you're uh, yeah? So at? my teams are Clemson, USC, Boise State, UCF, Coastal Carolina, Oregon, Pitt, Penn State, UCLA, and Florida State. Um, currently, after week four, there are only 22 teams undefeated, and I have drafted six of them. So I'm feeling pretty good about myself. The one thing I'm kind of worried about is Boise State. Uh, offensive coordinator got fired. What is it today? Yesterday, and then their who their quarterback who was starting at the beginning of the year and then got benched. He's now moving on, entering the transfer portal, um, so he can use this as a redshirt year because he's only played for four games. I'm a little bit nervous. I won't get very many more wins out of Boise State, but I'm looking. I'm happy with Clemson, USC. Um, it'll be a telling next few. Days few weeks for Florida State how good that team really is um, I'm happy with Oregon and Pitt and, and Coastal Carolina I'm worried about UCLA I think that Pac-10 Pac-12 team that Pac-12 conference is good and I think this team is right now playing above they played above themselves in my opinion <laughs> so we'll see how it goes I, I do have a little bit of a lead on people and that'll help but I mean they can flip in a week we all know yeah and I, I didn't give you the total wins uh so Court's been the best at this a number of weeks. So he's got 35 total wins. Brian is second at 30. Uh, I am, or Steve is third. I did this last week too. Steve's third at 26. I just so, so badly don't want to be in last place. And uh, I'm in last place at 23 wins. So the spread between first to last is uh, 12 games. And Corey's got a five game lead four weeks in. Impressive. I was just going to say that at Boise State, that Hank Bachmeyer leave might be a blessing in disguise, Corey. You might end up getting better play as a result of him leaving fingers crossed <laughs> yeah we'll see what dirt cutter can do you know coming back from his nfl days to be the <laughs> the oc at at uh at boise state where he's been before for me the the team i'm looking at and just shaking my head on my team is miami um had this one down for a win surprisingly i i really expected them to beat middle tennessee state at home but now I look at the rest of the schedule and I go, I, I just don't have any faith that they're going to get the job done against anyone. Um, because how could you, they have given me no reason to believe that. And I don't know who's starting the next game at quarterback. So it's just kind of a, a tough situation there. Um, the other one that I, I look at, and I think Baylor, the more I look at that. So I chose Baylor and Oklahoma state, which gives me a guaranteed loss, but also I, 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 cannot believe in that team just yet. You know, I think that there could be some real, um, some real decline as the season goes along. I, I just, that's a team where my faith has decreased and decreased throughout the season. They're still three and one. They only have that one loss um, in overtime against BYU. So they've been getting results, but which, which is all I need. I just really hope that that can continue to, to happen. Michigan. I'm really happy. I picked, I was nervous about them, but that's a, a fourth round pick. 
And I can't see them losing anyone on their schedule except for Ohio State. Yeah, they did look shaky against uh, Maryland. I, I'm still pretty confident and think that that's going to be a, a big value pick for me down the line. Steve, take us through your teams. You're, you went five and three this week. Yeah, two teams on by UAB and Fresno State. Um, I still don't know. I haven't even looked up what Jake Hayner's injury is for Fresno State. I think that that pick lives and dies with him. Texas A&M wins a game that they probably didn't deserve to in Arkansas. We didn't talk about that game. That one's a, uh, yeah, anyway, I, I won't get too into that one. I'm fortunate on this uh, for our win totals draft to, to collect a win there. Appalachian State, like, man, I, I, they are just the most baffling team. Like they probably should have beat North Carolina after they should have got blown out by North Carolina. They win a game they're not supposed to in Texas A&M, who also happens to be on my team. Uh, this week they were up, uh, they were up twenty-eight to three on James Madison, and then from that point forward they don't score another point. James Madison rattles off twenty-nine straight, including fifteen in the fourth quarter, twenty-two in the second half to win the game. Like the App State is, uh, they're they're not boring. Let's put it that way. They're they're anything but boring. They they will find ways to make the game interesting, whether it's. A giant comeback victories, uh, colossal upsets, or a second half collapse for the ages. So um, other than that, everything kind of went the way I would expect it to. Uh, Texas, I guess, I, I, I saw that as a, as a potential problem spot for Texas just with the injuries to the quarterbacks. I don't think Hudson Card is even quite 100%. Uh, BYU took care of business. Washington State had a chance but didn't quite do it. I feel okay. I think as the season goes on, I'll get a little bit more clarity. But, uh, you know, overall, like, I feel better than Mark does. Let's put it that way. Yeah, uh, I don't feel good about this at all. Um, you've heard that for the last few weeks. I don't I don't think it's getting better, though, uh, either. So I, my team's Alabama, Oklahoma, Utah, Wisconsin, UTSA, Notre Dame, Air Force, Army, Utah State, and Louisiana Lafayette. Uh, Alabama still feeling really good about that pick. Uh, I think I nailed my top draft choice. So that's great. Oklahoma probably should have seen Kansas state coming at this point, but you know, you're going to drop an occasional game. Utah's hopefully riding the ship. They've looked okay in the last three weeks. I'm not going to put too much credit in a win over Arizona state, um, but we'll see Wisconsin's who knows what to make of them. Lost to Washington state is a decent football team. Got smoked by Ohio state. Uh, we'll see what, you know, what they're made out of UTSA. I think I got off to a slow start there and that was to be expected. Their first four games were kind of where the trouble was and they lost the, both the ones you'd expect. They lost to Texas and, um, oh, another ranked team that's slipping my mind at the moment, Houston in week one, uh, by a couple points. Yeah. Yeah. Overtime or double overtime. Uh, they also have a, but, uh, budgeting, uh, I don't know what that word was. Burgeoning. That's the word I wanted there. <laughs> Keep this in. Okay. <laughs> Burgeoning. That's the one. Uh, Titan in Middle Tennessee State coming up this week. So I expect them to get blown out. Um, Notre Dame, they look like they're putting some things together. Who knows how much of that's UNC. It's two straight wins. Uh, they, they get to get a little bonus rest and then play BYU. And I think that'll be a, a good sign of where they are. Uh, Army and Air Force, Army's underwhelmed this year, Air Force fine. Utah State, that is, I made a joke last week that if they played last week, I would have had an extra loss, and that, unfortunately, was not a joke. They are bad. I, I don't know if I will pick up more than, like, three wins from them this year. Um, and then Louisiana Lafayette gets beat by UL Monroe for the first time in, like, five years. Uh, so that was a you know another disappoint. Every week it's another team that disappoints me or another couple teams. Um, not not looking good. We do have a, a number of teams who we have not drafted who have performed exceptionally well. Corey, do you want to give us a little insight onto those teams that maybe should have been considered more highly biased previously? Yeah. Um, so I went through the the twenty two teams. I think there's six teams potentially that we didn't draft that are undefeated um from the acc there are four teams that are undefeated it's clemson 
NC State, who I don't think we drafted, Syracuse, who I don't think we drafted, and then Florida State. Um, if you look at the Big 12, I don't think we drafted TCU. Um, there's Minnesota. Oh, Kansas, which, of course, we didn't – I forgot about them. None of us drafted Kansas. Steve's giving them some love right now on, on the back of the screen. And then I think Kentucky. So six undefeated teams currently that we didn't even pick. Now, granted, doesn't mean they'll end up in the top – totals of wins at the end of the year they may have an easier schedule or they just might be working you know good out of conference schedule but that's probably a big difference in why we have such a discrepancy right now yeah i'll, I'll note nc state was one that's picked by steve but the rest are total oversights uh, I, I mentioned giving love to minnesota early on in the in the pod but man i'm regretting that one i could have had them and i chose iowa and that is that's sticking with me at the moment We'll see, though. I was, you know, on, only one loss just hasn't. Uh, it's been tough, tough week to week. But there, there are there are worse, you know, three and one teams, but not many. Auburn comes to mind. <laughs> but we'll we'll forget dwelling on court successes and have him go through our next segment. The game turned when we're we focusing on one game and, and what is the critical moment? Corey, take it away. Well, we're not going to move on from my successes because I did pick Oregon. So um, if you haven't watched the game, just watch the fourth quarter. It's a great fourth quarter, and it's fun to watch uh, how the momentum swings in that quarter. Um, but with six minutes and 42 seconds left, Washington State scores to go up 12 points. And Oregon gets the ball back and is driving down the field and re gets to fourth and two on the 49-yard line of Washington State. Um, they, have a, they spread out five wide. They have a linebacker covering a, a – running back and it's not in the slot even it's it's way out wide which is kind of interesting and the you'll see the announcers kind of call us out and Bo Nix throws a ball over the linebacker underneath the safety that probably should have been thrown but it's it's a great ball and it's and it's caught to convert them and they later go on to score um and then the next set of downs Washington State play calling is awful and even the play is awful it's it goes they go through three and out real quick but it, it's a run up the middle a, a very poor pass from from the Washington State quarterback and then a run where the running back I swear the running backs actually inbounds um and I think that's the initial call that the running backs inbounds um oh yeah that, and or sorry out of bounds but then they um Oregon calls a timeout anyways so it doesn't really matter um yeah that three and out and 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 that fourth down conversion are incredible little plays to, to really swing the momentum for Oregon. Um, Oregon later goes down and scores a touchdown. And in Washington State's next drive, they throw an interception for a touchdown, which kind of puts the game out of reach. But for me, the game swung when on that fourth and two. Like that fourth and two, if they hadn't converted, you give the ball back to Washington State at, with it's, it's five minutes left in the game. If the OU has two or um, Oregon has two timeouts left. They could salt away that game a little bit better than they, or better than they should have, or than they did. Um, but that game changed there. They they bring themselves into into connection or into golly. They bring themselves in, into contention with a uh, with Washington State, and it's it's a fun game to watch. Really, that that game swung though on a very well placed placed pass by Bo Nix. And if you watch the end of the game when the game is over, Bo Nix runs over and hugs Dan Lanning. Um, and celebrates with him because I think he was kind of just relieved that hey we kind of came back from that so yeah that was a game that I for for a while I checked the score and I said okay I don't really need to flip to that one I can just keep on watching what I'm watching um, and then it just starts to to ramp up so fast for Oregon um, and and just having that critical conversion make, makes all the difference in you know the not only the the players on the field but also the what's going on in the stadium. Um, when we talk about momentum and the sh things that shift, it's not only the play, but it is the general feel and atmosphere and, and belief uh, that is impacted by each of the players and Oregon saying, Oh, we're going to, we're actually going to make this happen. We're going to, you know, come all the way back and show exactly who we are. Uh, really a, an impressive game. I guess, I guess a fun game overall, but a really critical moment to, to make that, I guess to, to, to convert and to get, uh, every bit of those uh, those precious points at the end of the game as it was coming down close. 
Yeah, and, and in reality, Washington State, the drive before that, that happened, um, they were going down the field and they were not moving the ball as well as they should have been, but they're kind of like miraculous plays or timely penalties that continue to keep the drive alive and they end up scoring. And so it's almost as if the momentum swung hardcore Washington State and then on fourth and two, Oregon's like, oh, the light's on. We have a chance. And she closed the doors. I think they scored 21 points in like a matter of three minutes and 28 seconds or something like that. It, it was nuts. All right. With that, we'll wrap up the end of, of week four and take a look ahead at the, the games next week. We'll go in the same order as uh, best MMA fighter because I'm second and I feel great about it. But Steve, why don't you give us a, a game or two that you're looking forward to uh, on the upcoming slate? Yeah, uh, a couple of them that are, are on my mind heading into the week. Obviously, it looks like a pretty decent slate. Um, and even the ones that maybe looked a little lackluster, they've not been short on drama. You know, I think heading into this past week, we all were kind of like, there's some games that we want to watch, but, um, you know, maybe not sure how the week overall was going to stack up. And we ended up being treated to, in my opinion, this has been a really, really fun season of college football. Not that there's a, not that there's a boring one, but this one's seemed pretty special for me. The ones that I have my eye on, um, I'll go like I, I got first choice, so I'm going to take the homer pick Wake Forest, Florida State. We'll see if that game ends up being played. I know there's a hurricane that people are kind of keeping tabs on in the Gulf Coast or in the, the Gulf of Mexico that's right now maybe threatening that that, uh, you know, the way that the game is currently arranged. So we'll have to see on that. Uh, Curious to see what Florida State does against a ranked opponent, Wake Forest. How do they bounce back from an absolutely heartbreaking loss to Clemson? So that one's one. The next one that I'm going to take from that same time slot, Oklahoma State and Baylor. Uh, I, I need – I shot my mouth off about Oklahoma State. They've been 3-0 and in the non-con. That's just fine. All I need them to do is lose every game in conference. Uh, Baylor, this is your your opportunity to – uh, start to to put your stamp on your season. Uh, we talked about some uncertainty around Baylor a little bit earlier. I have those same thoughts currently favored by two and a half. So uh, Baylor Bears and Oklahoma State, I think, again, we're, we're going to learn, I think, a fair amount from uh, from both of these teams, depending on how that game plays out. So those are two. Um, there, there's plenty of others that I could could touch, but I want to leave some for, for the rest of the team or the rest of the group to highlight. Yeah, I'm really hoping Oklahoma State can can come through in that one. As you'll know, Stephen predicted them to go four and eight in the season. I predict them to win the Big Twelve. Um, this is four and eight. I just said bottom of the conference. Said one spot above Kansas, who was in theory the last and worst team in the Big Twelve. <laughs> to be clear, they might still fi finish one spot above Kansas, but it'll be where you predicted them at the top of the conference. That <laughs> <laughs> they're playing them in the title game. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I'm looking forward to, and these are related games, UCLA, Washington, and Utah, Oregon State. This Pac-12, it is really hard to determine who is the big dog. There are a lot of teams that are playing good football and entertaining football. You look at both Washington schools look uh, extremely good. USC has the most talent of, of anybody there. Um, Utah, we're still going a lot off of what they did last year. They've taken care of business against teams they've been supposed to, except for um, the loss to Florida, which was a close one. And, you know, their one decision at the at the red zone from winning that one, right? It's it's only a play away. They, they would have liked to get the result, but they're not that much worse for, in, in reality, that much worse of a team for not having pulled out the victory there. Um, but getting to see what UCLA is made of, because um, I think this this Washington team, team, Washington team is pretty good. Um, so it'll be the big test for the Bruins to see uh, if they're, you know, up at the top with everyone else. And then Oregon State, Utah, is my perception of Utah accurate? Are, are they actually top of the conference? Oregon State doesn't look to be a pushover um, by any means. They, they gave a real, real scare to USC. Uh, I just think that conference is going to be fascinating um, in, in a similar way that the Big 12 is. Um, it's going to be really interesting to see how a lot of these matchups go throughout the season in the in the Pac-12 because, Yes, there are favorites, and yes, you look at a team like USC and you go, okay, well, that's the most talented team, but I think I'd do the same thing with Oklahoma in the Big 12, and very quickly that gets shattered when Adrian Martinez just goes absolutely explosive, all you know, volcanic in that game. So I, I'm really excited to see 
just how these games shake out if, if there are blowouts that occur um because i anticipate these to be close games but it's blowouts can be i think a lot more revealing for what we're expected to see down the course of the season um yeah i i, I just am excited to get some clarity on some of these pac-12 teams to really figure out what is what is the pecking order? What is an upset? Who should be favored in these games? Because for me, I have a hard time picking, you know, anyone in, in these four, um, in these two matchups. So those are, those are two big ones I'm looking forward to at the weekend. I like those picks, Brian. Um, for me, I'm looking at Kentucky Ole Miss. Um, I'm interested to see the, how the Wildcats do against Ole Miss. Um, I, I want to see what the line is on that one. Does anybody know off the top of that? Yeah, Mrs. Ole Miss is favored six and a half. Um, but both undefeated teams currently, um, It'll be interesting to see how they kick off SEC play. Um, then the last one is Alabama, Arkansas that I, I'm interested in. Um, if we, I don't know if we really touched on that game, Arkansas and a, Texas A&M, how fluky that loss was, um, and how if Texas A&M did any of you guys see that play where Texas A&M uh, got the fumble recovery and then kind of got tackled the left oh. around around the 25 yard line and handed it off before he got tackled and ran for a touchdown. Crazy. Um, yeah. Let, let's see if Arkansas can do a little bit better play calling on this one to, to keep it close. I'd like to see somebody rival Bama just to see. I mean, I think that those top tier teams are above and beyond, and we have a, a lot of good middle tier teams, but this is a, a chance for a middle tier team to maybe reel one of those guys back in. Um, so I'm excited to see those. Yeah, I think the AM defense is starting to take on a bit of that uh, early 2000s Ravens defense where they go, our offense may not be able to score, but when we get the ball, we're pretty electric. So, so let's see if we can't get in the end zone. Corey, you, you touched on a couple that that I was also going to touch on, those, those SEC matchups. Uh, there's been some highly dramatic finishes uh, in the interconference FCC play. You think about uh, – Tennessee and Florida. Florida makes it really interesting at the end of that game where they really had no business being in it towards the end of the game, but they, you know, Anthony Richardson has the ball 60 yards away in a cannon uh, to get the ball to the end zone. He, he doesn't, he gets hit on the play, but um, lots of drama in that one. Texas A&M and Arkansas obviously had a, had a lot of drama. Mizzou and Auburn, though the stakes are lower there. You know, they, that, the, the inter SEC games have, have produced some terrific games. So um, both of those are on my radar. Uh, another one on my radar, if Aiden O'Connell is back, will be Purdue, Minnesota. I think it's still unclear whether he'll play there. Um, he did not play in FAU against FAU. Uh, and that was a fairly close game. Purdue's kind of played to the level of their competition. They've got two, two losses by a combined seven points against two teams that are four and and then they beat FIU by uh, two points. Speaking of teams that, played to the level of their competition florida's got eastern washington at 11 a.m so that might be an interesting ball game as well uh but i think the mat the the rundown across the entire day is good so those first two games i lined out ole miss and kentucky purdue and minnesota that's the 11 a game 11 a.m um schedule if you're central time steven you touched on oklahoma state uh and baylor wake forest and fsu and then, Corey, you touched on Alabama, Arkansas. That's 2.30. If you go to 6 and 6.30, you get LSU and Auburn uh, uh, struggling. That, that one probably won't be that, um, I think, close of a football game, but uh, I think could be an entertaining game just to, to watch a struggling Auburn offense and a rising LSU team um, who has a, a top 15 uh, defense. And then NC State Clemson is probably the, the one that I'm looking at that, that nobody else has mentioned here. Uh, top top 10 matchup uh I, I don't know brian you could fact check this but that might be i can't, I can't remember the last time that was a, a they had a top 10 matchup maybe maybe in one of the russell wilson years but i doubt it it's probably it's it's probably been forever um we'll see what uh we'll see what shakes out there after a, a close loss for or close win for clemson this week they have another good quarterback coming to town and uh sam hartson picked picked up uh that secondary part so we'll see what uh Devin O'Leary can do yeah I think between that game and the the Florida State Wake Forest we're going to resolve a lot in the Atlantic division um there's still four undefeated teams in that division alone you have got Florida State uh NC State Clemson and then Syracuse which isn't involved in those matchups but really a lot still to be discovered as to what's going to play out over the course of the season I, I think you know Clemson still seems beatable and They've got NC State this week. They've got Florida State coming up uh, in two weeks. So it's just, 
yeah, a, a lot of clarity that we should be able to get from some, I don't know, some, some talented teams who are, are there to, you know, their record's going to be the only way they can really make a claim because they're not playing Alabama, they're not playing Georgia. Um, but if you win it, beat everybody, it's hard to ignore. Mark, I can't confirm when the last time Clemson-NC State was a top 10 matchup, but the last time NC State was in the top 10 was 2002. So a little further back than you were thinking, um, that might go back to Philip Rivers Day, if I'm, if I'm thinking correctly. So uh, I don't, probably I don't quite, think those a while, quite a while. Teams were, yeah, I don't think those Clemson teams. The James Davis was like 2004 or five, if I remember right. Yeah, right before C.J. Spiller. They crossed, didn't they? Yeah, I think they shared a backfield for, for a second, but yeah, you know, a brutal backfield. We're talking back before Philip Rivers had ten kids, so this is a long time ago. That's going to wrap it up for the games that we're looking forward to this week. Let's take it to some parting shots, some well wishes. Anybody want to either unload on somebody or you know give give a shout out to a, a team or player who has deserved it well and hasn't gotten the notice uh, on our on our feed that they deserve. How about the big 12 teams giving the big double birds to the sky to Texas and Oklahoma saying goodbye. Just, All right. It's not you. It's, or it's not us. It's definitely you. Um, I, I would just love to see that those two teams continue to take beatings and, and take losses that they're not expected to throughout the remainder of their time in the big 12. I just, I, I saw a tweet about it. It was just uh big 12 to traders. Zero was the, was the tweet. I think just perfect tweet. Uh, so yeah, there, there's, there's one of my parting shots. I'd say uh, Warner university um, out of Lake Wales, uh, Florida lost 98 to nothing. If you want to know their score, it's a Stephen F. Austin. Granted, we're talking FCS low things, but if you want to hear scores, lost 7 to 40, 44 to 7 to Kaiser, 52 to 3 to Wake to West Florida, 49 to 22 to Florida Memorial, and 98 nothing. So on the season, they've scored a grand total of 32 points against four teams and been outscored, I think it's a, close to 250 <laughs> to the 32. Yikes, I wouldn't have a football team if I were you guys. Sorry. Some of the quarterly splits on that that uh, ninety-eight to nothing game are unbelievable. I think what they lose one quarter like thirty-five to zero. Yeah, that's the first quarter. The fourth quarter isn't too much farther apart though. It's twenty-seven to nothing. You know they didn't lay off the gas very much. They've got another one. Um, so for for Michigan State, you do you wonder if they tried to sneak something into that giant contract that they handed out to uh, to Mel Tucker and. <laughs> Oh, by the way, if you, uh, you know, ever don't tie your left shoe, um, we can cancel the whole thing, and 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 then we don't owe you anything. I, I would be nervous if I if I'm a Michigan State fan. Uh, maybe it's it's kind of those one of those things where you if you live by the transfer portal, you die by the transfer portal, and just yeah, some days there's going to be feasts, and some days there's going to be famine in terms of what's in the portal and what you can get. Um, I I don't know. It doesn't look like it's going to get better for, for Michigan State. I think it's going to get a whole lot worse before it gets better. I'd like to see in the future some type of stats or rankings from people that evaluate transfer portal talent. Because you've seen some teams like Florida State hit on transfer portal talent and then some teams not. <laughs> can, can I go in on just the transfer portal rankings for just a second here? I'm going to I'm going to name some names here like, uh, you know, all of the recruiting services have rankings for these transfers, right? And then you see them get re-ranked with no new data. Like that to me is just, that is a flat admission that when we first ranked this guy, we got it wrong. We were either lazy or incompetent. It was one of the two, uh, but it wasn't anything. You saw guys, you know, enter the portal in February and get re-ranked in March and May. And it's like, why? there's no new information on that person there's no new information on that transfer um so yeah for those uh sites on on three uh 247 i think was the most egregious in terms of re-ranking people in the transfer portal like what are you doing was your first eval just bad or or incomplete like yeah that i i don't know that's one of those things that i was a little bit as a fan of the sport that follows things like that like maybe you should maybe you should just do the eval and then stick to your guns like 
don't 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 rewrite it just based on the fact that you know oh the early buzz from spring camp is like he's really good well you got it wrong then and put your name on it i do think the one thing that they're trying to do for the fan perspective is trying to give you a good assessment of how your new recruiting class is because you're including the portal transfers in there um and yeah I think it also gives you another way to evaluate the coach. I mean, I was just watching Virginia's Virginia and Syracuse on Friday night. If Virginia wins that football game. If they go, don't have a, a, an awful quarterback, frankly, I mean, he's completing 52% of his passes. He's just having a terrible season. Um, and you watch him play and you're like, there's not somebody's backup. You could have gone and signed uh, better than this. I mean, that, it's a two point game and I'd have to look up the stats, but, Virginia really gets very little from their from their quarterback in that game. Um, and that was my first thought was the transfer portal's done magic for people, you know, particularly if like all you need is one position. That's all they've got some talent. They've got a Keaton Thompson, who uh old quarterback, I can't remember where he played, plays wide out now, is unbelievable athlete. Can't get him the ball. You think that's more, sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll take it just a second on that. Like Brandon Armstrong had a killer year last year. And so did Tyler Van Dyke, you've seen some guys that the system makes a difference. Um, so I think that's one of my learnings that I'll take from, from here moving forward is like, all right, just because a new OC with a new system comes in does not mean I can expect that player to play the same way, uh, particularly in the ACC Coastal. All right, that's going to wrap it up for our parting shots and wrap it up for our podcast. Thanks for joining for another week. If you haven't already, check us out on our socials. We're on Twitter at underscore CFB Paint and on Instagram at CFB Paint. Uh, we're posting new content each week, and we're trying to get more and more engagement uh, during the weekends, especially on Saturdays. If you have questions or things you want us to address on the podcast, shockingly, our audience is not huge at the moment, so we'll probably be able to get to it. Just send, an, uh, send us a DM, and we'll be happy to, to cater our content a little bit more toward our listenership. But thank you all for listening, and we'll see you all on the next one. Thanks for listening to another episode of the CFB Paint Podcast. We're dropping new episodes every week. Be sure to rate us five stars on any and every service where you listen to the pod. And if you feel so inclined, let your friends know about us. As always, thanks, Mom, for giving birth to us. And to all the rest of our listeners, we'll see you next week.